So welcome to week three of our series, which we call in We Are Home. And I'm an ex-English teacher, although I don't know if you can ever be an ex-English teacher. I think you're an English teacher for life. And so I'm loving the double meaning in that um, title. And so we are home in the sense that we're in this place that we trust is a place of belonging and connection and um, safety and security. But also, so that's like a noun sense, those of you who remember this kind of stuff. But then we are home, verb. We get to be that for each other, and it's part of God's design that we create that space um, for everybody else. So that's beautiful. And so this local church, it's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not just a group of like-minded people who gather together. No, this is a place of household. This is a place of family. And so we're looking at what does that mean? Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, we're unpacking what does it mean to be a family together? Not just colleagues, not just kind of professionals who have a a working relationship. No, we're a family, which means there's deep and meaningful and rich relationships between us. So in week one, Ryan looked at what it means for this home, this expression of God's presence here on earth, to be this place of belonging and security, a place of identity and purpose and hospitality. And then last week, Ian preached, and he preached out of Paul's letter to Timothy. And here, in this letter, Paul writes this, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And we explored what that concept of household meant. And it's not this kind of westernized nuclear, us for no more kind of concept. It's the extended family, the inclusive. It's more like a tribe in a sense. And so today I'm going to take that a little bit further. How should we conduct ourselves in God's household? And what does God's word tell us about what our relationships should look like practically? So in this series called We Are Home, I've entitled this message, We Are Family. And the Bible's got a lot to say about this. And if you look through the pages of the Bible, all along there's this kind of um, theme, this metaphor that runs through the pages about the family of God. And one of the, imagery, one of the images that's so helpful is the sibling imagery, the, the brothers and sisters relationship, because that's a beautiful expression of That relationship, it's a healthy relationship. It's a loving, it's affectionate relationship. Those of you with brothers and sisters, you know. You love those people dearly, dearly, even if they irritate you. (laughs) And they know just how to irritate you, don't they? But even in the New Testament, we see over 100 verses which are talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love how Paul Tripp describes this. He says, our spiritual life is meant to be a group project. We forget that we've not only been blessed to be recipients of God's grace, but we have been called to be tools of that grace in the lives of others. And so if you're a guest here today or you're listening in online, maybe you're still exploring what Christianity is all about, who Christ is then you're going to get such good insight into the kind of community that God calls us to be. Because when you, get, um, when you come to Christ, you don't just come to Christ, you, you kind of come to a community as well, and you get added into a family. And so that's what we're going to be explaining today. And I just want to also say that I recognize it's a tricky time to be, um, to be sharing a message like this and maybe to hear a message like this because we have been, we continue to be in a season of lockdown. And we've had to socially distance and we've had to socially isolate and we all know the reasons for that. But as a result, many of us have maybe 
isolated and become a little bit independent and insular. And many people, I'm thinking particularly maybe of those joining us online, who have, um, as I described this connection this morning, there's almost like that ache and that longing because that's the very thing you've been missing. And you're so desperate for some family connection, but you haven't been able to do that. And it's been so exciting to see a number of people coming and coming back to church over the last few weeks especially. But we recognize that not everybody can do that. And so it is tough to kind of call, to lean in, to be part of family, recognizing that for many of you, you are still needing to um, physically isolate. So I'm trusting that for all of us, though, whether we're here, whether we're dialing in online, there's going to be something for each of us that God is going to speak to us. And as a result, maybe there's going to be some shifting in our thoughts, in our heart attitudes, and maybe even in what we practically give ourselves to. So let's pray. And then we're going to open God's word. Yeah, Father, we invite you to come and to speak to us this morning. Whenever we open up your word, it's an opportunity to hear from you. And we want to hear from you this morning. That's why we're here. And we, we ask that Holy Spirit, today we celebrate Pentecost. We celebrate you coming to earth to enable us, to empower us, so that as we read these things and they're challenging and they may be quite difficult. Thank you that we don't do it on our own. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who works in us. And so we invite you, come and speak and come and shape us even this morning. Amen. Cool. So today we're going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, okay? And we're going to be looking at Romans 12, which forms kind of the fourth part of that letter. And Romans is one of the most influential books ever written. And one thing we need to remember when we read the epistles from Paul is that he, he's writing them to groups of people, to communities of people. You know, we can read it maybe in our devotional time and we, we start to think, oh, this is written to me personally. But no, he's actually writing it to, to us together. And so it's good. Today we're going to read it together. That's how it's meant to be kind of read. And Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, and you can have a look at the map up there where he's writing it from. He's writing it to introduce himself to the church who have been established in Rome because he's hoping to come and visit them on his way to Spain. And the first 11 chapters, what he does is he talks about who God is and who we are in him. And then there's almost this shift in the 12th chapter where it starts to get really practical. And he's going to unpack what Christian love is. And it's not this airy-fairy idea. No, he roots it in these very practical challenges and these practical expressions of love. And in light of what we've been saying as household and family, it's like the spiritual father sitting down with the rest of the family and kind of sharing with them what he would imagine life in the family would look like. So that's kind of the lens that we, we should have as we come to it. So I'm going to read the scripture and then we're going to draw five points from it. Romans 12, verse 3 to 16. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, 
do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Okay, so my first point is that we are children first. We are children first. So in this family, we are all children, okay, because God is the Father. And last week, Ian reminded us how we got into this family, that our conversion to Christ, as we accept who Christ is and what he's done for us, that means we get adopted into this family and into this community. So we in Christ, we get placed in family, and we're the same. We have the same Father, and we have the same Spirit. And in the first week, Ryan preached from Ephesians 2, and that passage so beautifully reminded us, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So if you're here today and you're kind of looking in and you're thinking, well, how do you get to be in this family? It's not that you have to go through an initiation process. There's not a rite of passage. There's not like an orientation program to get into the family. No, you respond to the invitation from Christ. You respond to what he's done. His actions, not ours, qualify us. And Jesus allows us to be brought near, to have access to the Father, to be in right relationship with the Father. In our own right, we don't actually qualify. And so this is a good starting point because this shapes the attitude that we have about ourselves and about each other. Paul picks up on this in a few verses, and this time I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I love how it puts it. It says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. <laughs> and so Paul's reminding the believers here of the attitude that they should have, the way that they should treat each other. So he calls them to humility. And he calls them to honor each other in the way they relate. And he calls them to harmony because we're all equal we're all children, and so we're all equally valuable. We're all equally important because we are what we are by God's grace, nothing that we've done. And so we loved, and we're accepted, and we are children of God. And I start there because this fundamental truth shapes two very important things. It shapes how I see myself, and it shapes how I see others. So if I see myself as a child of God, that means I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm welcomed in, I'm adopted into this family, and that means I belong, and I'm valuable, and I have a role to play. But it also shapes how I see other people, that each person 
is valued and loved and important. We equal in value and worth. Okay, so cringe little moment here. Say to yourself, I am valued. Now turn to the person next to you and say, you are valued. Oh, the introverts loving that part. And that's important because whether you're male or female, whether you're old or young, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're single or married or single again, whether you were born in Cape Town or not, whether you've been part of this community for 22 years or two weeks, as a child of God, you are valuable and you are valued. And I'm going to end each section with some quick application questions. So my question here is, how do I see myself? And do I see myself as valued and valuable? And then how do I see other people? And how do I treat other people in this family? And my one little thing I'd love us to do a quick audit on is how well we welcome brothers and sisters into our space at church, particularly if new people are added to our family. Are we warm? Are we welcoming? And if you've been around here for a while, is there a way that you could reach out and you could include the newer members of the family? Okay, we are children first. That's the first point. The second point, every family member has a part to play. Every family member has a part to play. So look again at verse 4 to 8. And in these verses, there they are on the screen. There they are. Okay, in these verses... Paul's using this other beautiful metaphor, okay? It's one that's used often in the Bible. It's another metaphor of family and community and how we are to relate together, and that's the metaphor of the body, okay? So here we have this collection of different entities that are brought together for a common purpose and a common goal. And so there's this diversity, but there's also this unity because they're diverse in the sense that each part fulfills a very different function, but there's unity in that they work together and they cooperate together. They work together so that the work of Christ gets done. So every Christ follower, every family member has been given a gift from God to be put to use. And just as no part of the human body can do everything, no one Christ follower has all the gifts. So even the most mature believer, even the most gifted leader has gaps in their gifting, okay? We can't be the body of Christ on our own. We need other people to express that. Together, we are his body. So if you look around the room here, and virtually we're looking around the room there, this is the spiritual body that you've been placed in. And so you've been given a gift by God to use in this place, you have a contribution to make. And together, as we exercise our gifts, we get to be the body of Christ into this part of Cape Town where God has placed us. And we get to express something of his presence and something of who he is as we do his work. And this family is where you get to discover and deploy and develop your gifts. And Paul makes it clear that when we get these gifts... They don't just sit with us. We serve God with them. We serve each other with them. There's this outward flow to our gifts. The gifts are given from God, but they're not for us personally. They're used in serving the body. And so the application questions here are firstly, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? So that's the first step, to know your gifts. And how do you know your gifts? Well, the great thing about the gifts is that they manifest themselves. They show up as the Holy Spirit works in your life. So it becomes obvious. 
but you've got to be alert to it. And so if you've never taken the time to explore and discover and figure out what your gifts are, then I really would encourage you to do that. There's a lot in Scripture about them. Um, One of the most helpful things you can do is to use a spiritual gifts questionnaire to help you figure it out. And we've got one of those on our website. We're going to put the link in the mailer so that you can access that easily. Here's a list of the spiritual gifts. They're kind of like a grouped in these two groupings. And we obviously don't have time to go through them all, but have a look. (laughs) Do they sound familiar? Do they look familiar? Can you identify maybe your top three? Community is another great way that we figure out our gifts. You know, as we interact with people, we we call out the gifts in each other because we help each other identify what those gifts are. And so later um, in June, next month, we're going to be running a course as part of our Life Group Central. And that course is focused on the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, but then looking at how these gifts of the Spirit, what are those gifts and how do they get used, particularly in the body of Christ. And so that might be an opportunity for you as an individual, maybe as a Life Group, to find out more about spiritual gifts. And maybe you just need a refresher. (laughs) Maybe you know what your spiritual gifts are, but maybe you haven't activated all of them, or maybe some of them have been a little bit underutilized in this last season. And so my second question is, are you currently, are you actively using your gifts in this family? That's pretty obvious, so I'll move on. Okay, point number three, family is beautiful. Life in the family is beautiful. And let's look again at these verses from 9 to 16. And here's this beautiful, powerful, very rich description of what life in the family can look like. So we see here this passage calling us to love one another, to be devoted to one another, to honor each other. It calls us to share with each other, to bless each other, to pray with each other, to share the highs and lows of life together, to be humble in the way we treat each other. It's such a beautiful passage. In a sense, it's telling us what the family of God should look like, what the family of God could look like. And there's so much in there. It's such a rich passage. I'm not going to try and unpack it all. I just want to pick up on a few things that I think are in season for us and maybe a fresh challenge. And so we see verse 9. Love must be sincere. We're reminded here that in our love for each other, it should be authentic. It should be sincere. It should be genuine. And verse 10 calls us to be devoted to one another in love and to honor one another. So this local church, is it's like a classroom where we learn how to get along in God's family. This is the lab. This is where we get to practice loving each other. And that's why it's full of people, because that's how we practice. And they're people like us, and they're people different from us, and they're people that we get along with easily, and maybe there's some people that are a little bit more awkward or irritating or demanding. These are all kinds of people that we get to love. And through our words, through our actions, we get to model love. We get to model respect and honor and appreciation. And remember, Jesus' reminder, he said love would be the way that other people would know that we are his disciples. Love is kind of like our family trait. It's the main way that we show that we are a family. And the verses also speak about being devoted to one another. That word devotion, that doesn't, that doesn't just happen overnight. That takes time. There's a commitment, 
and it's a slow and steady process. So if you think about relationships, so a lot of your relationships, it's just regular stuff. It's just normal life, on, like life as you go. You're sharing ordinary life together. It's not very glamorous. But what that's doing is it's building a relational bridge. And you're establishing those connections. And you're building friendship and trust as you do that. And then when the moment arrives, which is usually unexpected, the moment of maybe a health diagnosis or there's a death, or there's a loss of employment, or there's a relational strain, then you've built the bridge, and you can lean on that bridge, and the bridge gives you the support and the help that you need. But you don't know when that moment's going to arrive, and you build the bridge in the very ordinary times. So we're going to apply some of these incredible verses using the grid of the different roles in the family, because we're children first, but that means we're brothers and sisters, and, and before I get into this, I just want to say that, of course, it's easy and natural to connect with people who are like you. So maybe people who are the same age as you or they're in the same life stage as you. Maybe they think like you do. They, they get you. They understand your life. Of course, it's easy to get on with people like that. And that's a beautiful expression of community. But it's not the only expression. And so I am kind of encouraging us here to step out a little bit and to extend our relational range, to extend our relational reach. So I want to first ask, how are you doing at knowing, loving, serving, and investing in your younger brothers and sisters? Your younger brothers and sisters. Do you have younger brothers and sisters in this family who you are building relationships with? Younger in age, obviously, but also younger in the faith. And are you building relationships with brothers and sisters, in the appropriate way, of course. One of the things that I've always loved about our evening congregation, and I think they've set a beautiful example for us, is the way that so many in that Bosch PM community have loved their younger brothers and sisters in our next-gen space. And so over the years, we've seen teens and young adults and um, students give so much time and energy into that space where they have on a Sunday or in a holiday club or a a camp away, they have invested their time and they've invested their energy. And I've just seen that as a beautiful example of older brothers and sisters noticing and seeing and serving younger brothers and sisters in our context. It's been lovely. Who are your younger brothers and sisters? And then how are you doing at knowing, loving, serving, and investing in your older brothers and sisters? And the great thing about our Bosch congregation is we have older and younger. We're a multi-generational church, and it's beautiful. And so I want to encourage you to courageously and creatively use the opportunities over the next while to step out and to extend your relational reach. So next Sunday, we have a family picnic day. Hopefully, you're going to come. And if you come, yes, you could sit with the people you know and maybe your life group. That's great. But how about you challenge yourself to just step out and meet three new people, three people from different age brackets to you. I mean, you could even do that on a Sunday. Don't just rush off. Don't just talk to the people you know. Start a conversation with someone you don't know. might be a bit weird, but I bet you by the end of the conversation, you're going to have learned something new. Next Saturday, we're hosting this packing event where we're packing these um, fire and flood relief packs. So sign up and go and then deliberately choose to work next to someone that you've never met before. 
And as you pack, you can chat and figure out how you know each other. If you're in a life group, how about intentionally connecting with a life group that's in a different age bracket to you and building some intergenerational relationships? And my final challenge is, if the picnic gets cancelled because of the weather, what are you going to (laughs) do to express community and enjoy community and celebrate community on your own without someone else organizing it for you next Sunday because now there's no picnic? I'll leave that with you to come up with something creative. Okay. And then finally, in the family, we have spiritual mothers and fathers. Who are your spiritual mothers and fathers? Spiritual mothers and fathers are incredible. They're people who are older than you, and, but they're older not just in age. They have that wonderful experience and perspective and wisdom. Proverbs twenty twenty nine says, The glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. I love that. The gray hair of experience. They, the mothers and fathers the, with the gray hair of experience and wisdom and maturity helping us, growing us, nurturing us, developing us. When people come to Christ, when they um, get connected into the church, it's not that we're just recruiting people to join us. It's not um, we ad- we're just adding someone to our organization. No, 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 that's not what happens. There's new birth that happens. There's new life that flows. And often it's the spiritual mothers and fathers. It's the older brothers and sisters who come alongside and disciple and nurture and care for and encourage and help a person grow and develop in their faith. And one of the things I love about this community is the depth of the bench, <laughs> that we have so many mothers and fathers in this community. We have a lot of wisdom. We have a lot of experience. There's a lot of maturity in this community. We are spoiled for mothers and fathers. I know I personally am spoiled. I look around the room, and there's a number of people who have been spiritual mothers and fathers to me, and who have journeyed with me and prayed with me and invested into me. And if you're an older person here today, I want to remind you that spiritual mothers and fathers are needed. There's no retirement in the family. (laughs) You get to play a role until the day you die. We we talk about the fact that we're a church that takes care of people from the first thousand days to the last thousand days. (laughs) And as you hit those last thousand days, there's a role for you. And if you're younger, I want to invite you to identify those spiritual mothers and fathers and to move towards them and to invite their wisdom and invite their perspective, invite their counsel. And a final word here to those of you who are single or maybe those of you who are not biological parents, we want to say that this spiritual mothering and fathering, this kind of older brothering and sistering, it's not less than, it's not second to biological parenting. No, God commands us to go forth and make disciples, and this is how we spiritually reproduce God's image in the world. And so your role is vital. And so on a practical level, what I'd love you to do is today, this week sometime, is actually write your family tree. Who are your younger brothers and sisters that you feel God's calling you to? He wants you to invest in them. He wants you to get to know them. Who are your older brothers and sisters? Who are your spiritual mothers and fathers? And maybe you can identify that you've got some gaps in your family tree. Ask God to fill that. Ask God to show you who those people could be. And maybe there's also some honoring you need to do or some appreciation you need to show or some support or service that you need to give to those family members. Okay, 
let's move on to my fourth point. It's a very brief point, but it must be said. Because point three, family is beautiful, yes. But point four, family is messy. (laughs) There is no such thing as a perfect family. And there's certainly no such thing as a perfect church. And family is beautiful, but family life is messy because it's full of people. (laughs) And people are flawed. And we get things wrong. And we make mistakes. And we let each other down. And we disappoint each other. And so if you look around here, you'll see a bunch of very ordinary people and very imperfect people, and we struggle to get this right. And you might be sitting here, and you've got a sense of disappointment. Maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe you have some unmet expectations of how you thought this church would be or behave. Or maybe you're thinking back to a past experience or a past person who has hurt you or let you down. Because family can be messy. And also in the family of God, although we unified in Christ, and although there's like a family resemblance because we have the same faith and the same father and the same spirit, there's also a beautiful diversity and we can be quite different from each other. And so there's a difference in our age or our stage of life, our likes and dislikes, our upbringing, our culture, our race, our socioeconomic standing, the way we wired, the way we gifted, the way we sing, the way we worship, the way we pray, we can be quite different from each other. And sometimes that can make it hard because we can hurt each other unintentionally or we can offend each other without meaning to. We can say the wrong thing. But that diversity is beautiful and that's actually how God wants it to be. He doesn't want us all to be the same. We family, we connected And we're equally important. And so that diversity becomes beautiful. And so although family is messy, what's beautiful about it is that it's God's design. So he says, I'm going to put you in a family with relationships. And it's going to go well, and then it's going to go badly. And you're going to mess up, and you're going to hurt someone, and then you're going to have to say sorry. And then someone's going to hurt you, and then you're going to have to forgive them. And then it's going to go well, and then it's go badly. <laughs> and then you're going to hurt someone, and you're going to have to forgive them. And that's how I'm going to grow you in patience and self-control. And that's how I'm going to fight with that selfishness thing that is always there. And I'm going to, that's how I'm going to get out that self-reliance <laughs> that you're so prone to. I'm going to put you in a family. And that is how you're going to become more like Jesus. And that is how you're going to grow spiritually. It's part of God's design. Okay, my last point is that hospitality is the heart of this home. And Ryan touched on this in week one of the message, but I wanted to touch on it again because as I've been preparing, this is the point that's probably hit me the most and been the one that um, has challenged me the most. So in verse 13, we find these two words, practice hospitality. Okay, so it's just two words. It's not complicated. (laughs) It couldn't be clearer. If we think what practice is, and we define it, practice is the actual application, the use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories about such application or use. And so synonyms of practice are to repeat, to rehearse, to exercise. And so as I've sat under this passage, this is one where I've been challenged. Well, am I practicing hospitality? Am I applying it, or is it just a concept, an idea? And am I doing that repeatedly? Am I rehearsing it and almost getting better at it? And part of the challenge has been in my understanding about hospitality. Because the Greek word, diakontos, translated here as practice, actually means pursue. 
pursue hospitality. So Paul isn't just telling me to practice hospitality in a kind of nice, passive way when it's convenient. No, he's saying pursue it actively, chase hard after it with single-minded devotion. And who is this hospitality aimed at? You know, I think often I have to find hospitality in a way that it's focused on people who are quite similar to me. And so it's easy to open my home or to share a meal or to be kind and offer practical support to someone who, who is more like me. But biblical hospitality is not just aimed at those who you find it easy to be hospitable to. It's aimed at especially strangers, strangers to you. And it calls you to befriend strangers and move towards those who are outside your friendship group. And 17 centuries ago, Origen, who's a church father, explained what this means when he wrote this. We are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. And this season of lockdown, of withdrawal, of social distancing, maybe we've become quite self-contained. Like my home is my castle and I'm here and I'm safe because it's scary out there. But this passage, it's calling us, no, to actually step out and to not be so um, responsive, but to actually initiate. And he's calling us to relational proximity and active inclusion of people. And so my application questions here are, how am I going to pursue hospitality? How am I going to chase hard after it? And what does relational proximity, what does active inclusion of people look like? What is this outward flow of blessing? And I'd love to encourage you to come along, dial in next week when Rigby is sharing, because he's going to be sharing something of what this household and what it means for this household to be a blessing and to actually be focused on other people, to bless beyond ourselves. And so that's how we're going to wrap up the series by exploring that. So today we've covered these five points. We are children first. Every family member has a part to play. Family is beautiful, family is messy, (laughs) and hospitality is the heart of this home. And I want to just close by sharing a picture that has really excited me about this kind of Bosch AM and PM journey. And it's a picture that came up in, um, like, early on in the process in one of our leadership meetings, but then in one of our prayer times, it just became quite vivid to me. And I'd love to share it with you, and maybe you can picture it as I share. So it's this picture of this large house with many rooms. And there's the room for the teenagers. Maybe it's a little bit separate so they can feel relaxed. They can feel at home, and they're hanging out, and they're chilling out together. And then there's a lounge. Can you see it? Maybe there's a nice fire roaring. We would all like that in this weather. And there's old and young and marrieds and singles. They're all sitting around having a chat. Maybe there's some discussion and debate going on in the lounge. We go to the dining room and there's this big table. Everyone's sharing a meal together. And as they share the meal, they're sharing their lives. And there's lots of laughter and banter, highs, lows of the day. Into the kitchen. This is kind of a hands-on space because there's chores that need to be done. (laughs) There's a load that needs to be shared to keep the family running. Maybe then into the rooms that have been set aside that are maybe a bit quieter. They're rooms for people who need special care. Maybe there's someone who's sick, someone who's hurting, and they need some special attention. And there's some rooms for those people. 
And through it, all the kids are running. They're included. They're, they're not just tolerated. They're not just sent into the garden. No, they're, they're part of the family. They're part of the vibe. So it's this beautiful, big house, lots of rooms. There's real depth. There's real breadth to the house. That's the house. And today we've looked like, what does it mean to be in the house? What do those relationships look like? How do we treat each other? The warmth, the love, the devotion, the honor, the humility, the harmony, that there's brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, that it's beautiful, but it's messy, that everyone has a part to play, and that there's always space, there's always room for more people. So we are home and we are family.